I'm going to continue for a moment where <coughs> James left off last week talking about Lilius Trotter. Actually, I haven't got the changer up here, have I? Uh, so if we could have the slide about Lilius Trotter, that would be really helpful. Thank you very much. Anne and I chose to watch the film uh, because we had a, a month's free trial on Amazon Prime and it was running out on Tuesday, I think. So we watched it on a Monday evening, the film about her many, many beautiful things. And this is one of the things she said, turn your soul's vision to Jesus and look and look at him and a strange dimness will come over all that is apart from him. He is the focus of it all and he needs to become the focus of everything in our lives. Now, have we found that changer yet? Oh dear. It's, it should be, there it is. Thank you very much. Thank you for my darling wife. Thank you. Okay, so um, what's interesting about Trotter, of course, this is part of the heritage of CCB, the Trotter family, influential in the start of the church. And I think there are many, many lessons from the life of Lilius Trotter that would be really helpful for us to unearth and live by. And Ken is nodding his head in agreement because he chose to watch it this week as well. So our suggestion to the vicar, humbly, is that we might even think of trying to have a church viewing of the film. Now, hmm, did you hear the hmm? Not a bad idea. Yeah, can I just say that as well? I have done some research around this. He's not as, she's not as directly related to him uh, as we thought. Oh, but, you know, DNA oh. travels a long way, doesn't it? Does. Yeah, okay. All right, very good. <laughs> now, now, if you're also continuing on from last week, uh, Romans chapter 8, where I want, you to, I want to read you to read this with me as it appears on the screen. Okay, can we do that together? For I am convinced that neither death nor life Neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. How does that make you feel, reading that? Great. Why? Because it's a declaration about God, his character, his nature, and our relationship with him, and nothing is going to separate us from it. That is my intention through this sermon, that you will understand that more deeply. But, and that's how Romans 8 virtually ends, we then reach this point which has been described by Andrew Ollerton and uh, uh, Andy Rimmer, therefore it must be right, as the cloud of mystery. Now, mystery means it's difficult to understand, and probably you will find much of what I say difficult to understand. I hope the assurance that you just had as a result of reading the end of Romans chapter 8 is not lost as we get stuck in the mud of Romans chapter 9. But I am going to get you to read aloud together the beginning of, sorry, the end of chapter 11, because I think that will give you a similar understanding of we're in good hands, if we're in the hands of God. So, the cloud of mystery. What is this cloud of mystery? Well, this is a mystery because God promised to bless the Jews as his chosen people. But actually, if you look at that history, it's a history that is not always a blessed history. 
that God promised. Secondly, he gave them the law to show them how to please him. And it's still there, universal principles for the way in which we might live, which will bring blessing to our families and those around us, but also will please him. And yet, most of the time, they were either unable to it or didn't want to obey his law. Oops, what happened there? We seem to have leapt on hugely. Uh, They repeatedly lived in exile or under oppression. So instead of just having a land that would be the place in which they would prosper, they frequently discovered themselves either out of that land or other people were ruling over them in that land. They were waiting for the Messiah. But actually when the one who claimed to be the Messiah arrived, most of them rejected him. Just as Christmas passed, he came unto his own. Famous start to John chapter in John chapter one, and his own received him not. And instead of only those people who obeyed the law under the covenant of God, uh, being those who were in relationship with God, believing in Jesus was now proclaimed to people from all nations. And Jesus said, "Go into all nations." And at Pentecost, it was people from all nations gathered in Jerusalem that heard in their own language the good news of what God was doing for them. On the Gentiles, the light has now shone. And so they were so opposed to it that those who were supposedly the chosen people of God even stoned some of the early Christians to death. And the church now is described in the New Testament as God's chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. So the mystery surrounds all of those. If God made all of those promises to that people group, why is it they had their history they did? Why is it they rejected the Messiah? And why is it the, the, the world, from people from all around the world and all nationalities, all DNAs, rather than just the DNA of Israelites, now are those in a living, loving relationship with God the Father? <clears throat> are you with me so far? I've now made you confused. Good. Okay, so here we go. Let's look at it from another point of view. God loves the whole world, yes? And yet God makes unbreakable promises. Yes. So the Jews, they were the chosen people. They were promised blessing. They knew God by name. They were given the law and they turned Jesus away. On the other hand, the Gentiles... Uh, were excluded, they didn't have the same relationship, they were made to feel, they were thought to be inferior, they revered other gods rather than knowing the Lord God by name, they lived in darkness, not under the law, and they welcomed Jesus. What a mystery. And then here we go in Romans chapter eight, which we, uh, sorry, uh, 10, which we just read, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. <clears throat> Now, in my understanding, the only way that these things are resolved is ultimately in Jesus Christ. So looking, that's why I started also <coughs> with those words from Lillian Trotter, even if she's not so closely related to us as I thought. <laughs> um, they're resolved in Jesus Christ. So we want our gaze to be on him. We want him to come into even greater focus to us. And although there will still be a mystery, as there must be about God, man, in one, yet he is able to, and in him, everything is resolved. 
Okay, so let's look at some of the different things. And even as I speak, I want you to <coughs> bear in mind one verse that we've had read just now, namely, the word is near you, it's in your mouth, and it's in your heart. So what God has already imprinted in you by his written word and by his spirit, I am praying that what I now say in this sermon will connect with that word that is already near you, in you. So first, <coughs> here are some of the things that I'm, I'm going to... I've got about 75 things I want to say now. I've grouped them into less than that. It's all right. And um, the, the, that are critical for us to understand. Believing in Jesus, it is the way to be saved. Believing in Jesus. You are here and I am here as we believe in Jesus and it has not de- it's not dependent, our salvation, even our belief, on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. That's Roman, it, it contained within these passages in Romans chapter 9. So we're first of all going to just remember that anything that we have from God in our relationship with him is as a result of God's mercy. And immediately we should be thinking, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. And the truth is that the whole Jewish law and the obedience to it and the building of the temple and the sacrifices was actually an attempt, was God declaring to his people that in order to be in a living and loving relationship with me, you need to become a holy people. And it is impossible for any of us to be sufficiently holy to get anywhere near God. And the only way in which we can become holy is as a result of God's mercy, and it's in Jesus Christ that we become the holy people of God. So the basis of faith, the basis of relationship, is very, very different. We're not trying to do this by our own human effort or by our intellectual or other attempt to discover. We're simply dependent on the mercy of God to declare us a holy people when previously we are not a holy people. Believing in Jesus. What did it say about believing in Jesus? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now there's a number of really interesting things within (coughs) this verse. So the first thing is, let's just look at what we're meant to be saying. I can't remember quite how I did these things. Maybe I should go back to this one. Believe, first of all, with your mouth. Sorry, declare with your mouth and believe in your heart. What that means is there's meant to be a correlation between what's going on in our heart, what we're saying with our lips, and therefore we're living out with our lives. Christianity, faith in God, our relationship with him, is not a private thing. It is not a private thing. It is something which is, we are meant to be public about. And it's meant to be so public that not only do we speak it out, but actually we live it out. So that's the first thing. That's a thing. We're not talking about our own internalized faith in God. We're talking about something different from that. Second thing is if you declare with your heart, Jesus is Lord, that, and believe... Sorry, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now, this is an interesting thing. For this reason, we said of the confession just a few moments ago. In the confession, we said, for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Why do we say that and not for the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, who died and rose again for us? 
Now that, interestingly, is a thought that just came to me as I was sitting on the front row a moment ago. I think it's fascinating. The Bible says our faith is around Jesus Christ raised from the dead. So why do we so much focus on Jesus Christ crucified? And one of the consequences of thinking of Jesus Christ crucified is we get into a more complex argument, if we're not careful, about theories of the atonement. And within the scripture, there are a number of ways of looking at the cross and deducing why it was that Jesus Christ had to die. One of those is to do with penal substitution, which many people find a very hard thing as one of the primary interpretative keys to the cross. On the other hand, if we focus on Jesus Christ raised from the dead, what we're focusing on is God's triumph over all evil. That is the critical thing for us, friends. It is God's triumph over all evil that Jesus Christ came to bring. And so it declares in 1 John, the reason for the coming of the Son of Man was to to destroy all the works of the devil. Not just to take my place on the cross so that I might become one of the holy people of God, but actually to destroy everything that the enemy has brought into this world that has taken away from what God intended for humanity (coughs) on planet Earth. So the next thing within this uh, is if you... It is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. What does that mean? Well, actually, the truth is I can have assurance that my sin is taken away within my heart by my response to God's mercy, which is thank you for Jesus. I believe that he came to overcome all the power of the enemy, and that includes my sin. And that means that from that moment on, I am justified just as if I had never sinned. I'm made holy in the eyes of God. But I have not yet experienced the fullness of salvation. It is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. So when we start to go public on our faith in Jesus, we begin to experience more of the complete arena of God that he intends us to live in as the saved people of God. In our hearts, knowing that we have a future secure in heaven is only a small part of what it means to be saved. To be saved means to be healed, delivered, set free and forgiven. And so I encourage us all to be public about our faith. And as we're public about our faith, we're not just helping those who don't yet have faith, but actually we enter into further dimensions of experience of our own salvation. I like that, don't you? Well, some of you do anyway. So now if you haven't got... That is really... I could stop here if I wanted to and if I felt I should but I don't yet, Um, because that really is the kernel of what I wanted to say today. That's the centre of these three chapters. But it doesn't really address the mystery, which apparently I'm meant to be addressing today. (laughs) So so let's continue for a moment or two more. So here's another thing. Recognising God is sovereign. What does God is sovereign mean? It means that he is the Lord, the king of the whole of creation. And as the king of the whole of creation, the one who set it in motion, who is not now sitting on the sidelines doing nothing but is still actively involved in all that's going on in the world, as the king of creation, it is his right to exercise his authority over all humanity as he chooses to do. 
Now, within this context, it's really important that we recognize how he chooses to do it. Namely, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will compassion on whom I have compassion. In other words, out of his heart and in his relationship with all human beings is mercy and compassion. This is our God. And this is not the same nature as the gods of many other faiths around the world. God as merciful, full of compassion, is a uniquely Judeo-Christian understanding of the living God. Thank you, Lord. This is who you really are. And that's why uh, in conversation um, with uh, the Lord, Abraham is able to declare, shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? We can trust him, in other words, because we know in his heart and the kernel in the heart of it all is mercy and compassion. So shall not the judge of all the earth do what's right? So that's why it's okay to say that God is sovereign. We're not submitting to a vengeful God. And within this passage, what it says is, does not the potter have the right to make out of the same lump of clay some pottery for special purposes and some for common use? It's just submitting ourselves to God's will and direction of our lives. And this has always been slightly confusing. So, you know, even in the New Testament, in when, when Jesus has been crucified, when the disciples have first started to go public, when the apostles, uh, the lead apostles are imprisoned, when they're released, in other words, they've already seen quite a lot of strange things happening if they were really to think if God is good and if God is always acting for his people, Jesus would not have been crucified and the apostles would not have been imprisoned. When they all pray together, do you remember how the prayer starts? Sovereign Lord. In other words, they have to reground themselves in an understanding that God is still in control. That is an act of our wills at times. And we will all face extraordinary things, either in our personal lives, our extended family lives, or we will see in the world, which will make us doubt this reality, that God is good and he's still active on the behalf of all humanity. And we will need to come back to sovereign Lord. Does that make sense? Okay. Uh, So what we're going to do, do that right now. So we're going to say it again. This is a recognition at the end of Romans 11 that he is sovereign. And let's read this scripture together. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. How did that one make you feel? It's okay. He is in charge. And it's a good job that he is and we aren't. How much more can we um, cope with? I... I Okay, uh, living with humility and kindness. This is really important. And it's interesting here that the, 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 the Gentiles coming in to the chosen people of God so that 
all humanity, all people, whatever their DNA and their ethnic background is, have the opportunity to live in a relationship with God. We who are called in are grafted in, according to Scripture, here in Romans chapter 9, uh, 9 to 11, amongst anything else. What had happened to the Jews? They were broken off, it says, because of unbelief. Whereas you stand by faith. The only reason any of us are in is because of a righteousness that comes by faith, not by effort. If God did not spare the natural branches, he will not spare you either. In other words, there is the possibility that the offer that is made to all humanity will equally not be accepted by other people groups just as it was not accepted by the Jews of the time. So Paul said to them, do not consider yourselves to be superior. Do not be arrogant but tremble and consider the kindness and sternness of God. And at the same time, uh, Paul said he was going to pray for, and I encourage us all, even if they, they are not the exclusive group that they appeared to be once, that we pray for Jews to come to Jesus. And it says here that, uh, that we are, there will come a time when the fact that all people from all nationalities have now come to know the living God, that, that this will so provoke the Jewish people that all Israel will be saved. Which is another mystery, quite what that means. You could read tomes of theology on that verse alone that comes in Romans 11. But what Paul says prior to that point is, and this is actually more significant than our understanding and argument over the theology of that phrase, is, brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. That is an incredible statement. He identifies with those who don't yet know the Lord Jesus Christ in such a deep way that in his prayers, at times, he feels, I so long for them that actually I'm prepared myself to be cut off from Jesus Christ in order that they may come to know him. That is a zeal for those that don't yet know Jesus that I've rarely met in anyone. And I believe that God calls us to have a passion for those who don't yet know him in the same way that Paul had a passion for his fellow people, the Jews. Now, some of us here will have a passion for the Jewish people group and we'll find ourselves longing for them. And, uh, uh, you know, my observation in the church, sometimes that passion for that people group gets pushed on to everybody as if everybody has got to have the same passion for that people group. I personally don't understand it in that way, but what I long for is that we all have a passion for a people group, which could be our own nationality, or it might be another nationality. And coming back to Lilia's Trotter, forgive me please, Andy, um, she went to Algeria, and you know the first missionary society said to her, no, you can't, because of the, she had a heart condition. She went anyway with a group of other people. She stayed there for 45 years. Her vision was to see a visible church before she died, and it did not happen. But she was so committed that she sacrificed what could have been the most famous, becoming the most famous painter in Britain at the time. She sacrificed it for the sake of a people group that she longed to hear come to know Jesus. Now we are beginning to land, but we are a jumbo jet, so it takes quite a long time. <clears throat> uh, last point. 
joining in the mission of the people of God. So coming back to Israel, why is it that they did not come into the recognition of Jesus the Messiah? My understanding is that they did not fully understand that they were meant to be the missionary people of God. They, they, they did what most of us do. And what most of us do, when we hear God say, I will make you a great nation, I will bless you, I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you, what we actually interpreted that as, Lord, bless this house. And my guess is that all of us have done that. We've prayed at home, whether it be over meals or on other occasions, Lord, bless me, bless this house, bless us, our family. That is the most natural interpretation. When God says, you're mine, we say, oh, thank you, God, you're mine. (laughs) And so bless me. Whereas actually what God said is, I am blessing you to make you a blessing. And the fact that the Dead Sea was actually dominant in Israel, rather than a flowing river from the temple of God, meant that basically they stopped giving away what God namely the message of God's love for all humanity, they stopped giving it away to other nations. And so they became stuck where they were. And so we have these wonderful questions. How can, uh, how can you call on the one you... How can they call on the one they have not believed in? Sorry, I've missed out a word there. How can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? How can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And Jesus said to his disciples, Go. In other words, we have all, by Jesus, been recommissioned to be the missionary people of God. That is what God's call on Israel was, is because that is what they were not able to take on board because they were bless me people that actually, in the end, God says to the whole of humanity that takes on that understanding. I will bless you as you bless other people. So, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. And Andy was telling something of the experience of the wonder of being amongst those on Saturday morning as he shared the good news with those who don't yet know him. There is an experience that transcends the experience of just keeping faith to ourselves. If we declare it with our lips that Jesus is Lord, if we tell others, if we're part of the missionary people of God, we ourselves discover there are other aspects to our experience of salvation than we would ever experience if we just believed it in our hearts and felt we were justified. This is God's call on our lives, friends. Let's rise and do it. And I want us to declare again, this phrase. Uh, what do we do next after Andy? After we're about to probably have a little song as a transition. Okay, so the band come back up. Is that right? And let's stand. And uh, as they're coming back up, the rest of us will read this again. The cloud of mystery. It is a wonder that we're here at all. That's a mystery to me that I'm here. I mean, it's, it's obvious that you would get in, but me, it's a mystery that actually this Lord God, the King of Creation, the pure, holy one, should actually say that we can call him Father and we can live with purpose. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counsellor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? 
For from him, through him, and for him are all things, and to him be the glory forever. Amen.